blitz. It's a blitz. Welcome to our PBL Project Blitz series, where each month we are highlighting the work of some awesome teachers in the PBL classrooms. Every guest will share out one of their favorite PBL projects, and we'll get a chance to discuss the impact of these projects on the students, the community, and our guests. We hope you find our guests as inspiring as we do. Welcome to the PBL Playbook, brought to you by Magnify Learning, where we equip teachers with project-based learning tools today so they can engage and empower their students for the future. This podcast will give you the playbook of real PBL facilitators in the classroom, just like you, and help bring you strategies and tools for your PBL game. Now, here are your PBL Playbook hosts, Josh and Andrea. Gotta find a better way. today with Emma Cutahai, who is a teacher in Irvington Schools in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, and this is a special guest for me for this episode. Emma was my student teacher a couple of years ago. So it's awesome to have her on. Emma, will you introduce yourself, uh, your teaching experience and your experience with PBL? Yeah. So uh, as Andrea said, my name is Emma. Um, I uh, was lucky enough to be a student teacher with her at CSA about, gosh, I think four years ago now. Um, and uh, I just really immediately fell in love with um, project-based learning and, you know, the, the kinds of work that, that the kids are doing in addition to the kinds of, um, you know, critical thinking skills you know, questions that they're having to answer, collaboration, like it just really seems, um, not, not to mention that they create these really awesome projects a lot of the time. Um, and I really just thought it was an exciting, fun way to learn. Um, so when I was looking for my first job, I was able to find uh, a position with a project-based learning school um, down in Clarksville, Indiana. Um, and I was there for two years, um, and the, you know, the school had a lot of resources and a lot of potential, but, um, it was really different from, um, you know, BCSC and, uh, that presented a, a very unique set of challenges. Um, so I did end up staying there for about two years, um, and now I'm up in Irvington Community Schools, which is more of a traditional, um, school district, although we are trying to move a little bit more towards PBL, um, in the future. Um, and that again, because I've been trying to integrate it into my curriculum and, um, especially with my U.S. history kids, um, that has also, uh, presented some unique challenges, um, just because these are kids that haven't ever, um, been asked to do something like that. So, um, so it's definitely been an interesting learning experience for sure. Awesome. Well, thanks for, for being here. We're really excited to have you because this episode is just maybe a little different than what we typically do on the Project Blitz. Uh, so we're, we're going to highlight a project, but um, we're actually going to highlight a project that didn't go necessarily as planned. And so uh, we always talk about in our episodes or in a lot of our episodes, we've talked about the willingness to fail, um, to try and experiment things, and then 
um, reflect and revise, and, and that's how we get better as, as educators. So uh, to start us off, can you just kind of give us an overview of what you wanted the project to be? Uh, maybe include some of the standards and the end products that um, you, you wanted your kids to create, and then we'll kind of dive into what happened and, and, and how, um, how we can learn from it and how it, it shaped your practice. But yeah, if you could give our listeners just an idea of what you were trying to accomplish, um, and then we'll kind of dive into uh, what actually happened. Yeah, um, so I had uh, for my government class the first year um, an idea to do podcasts um, because I have a friend that, which is funny because we're doing that right now, um, I have a friend that uh, is a podcast producer um, in New York City and so I thought that would be a cool kind of, you know, community partner connection um, and she's always willing to, you know, Skype in and talk to the kids about, you know, what it's like to, to work in the industry and all that stuff. So that kind of was where the idea started. Um, um, and for my government class, what I did was I organized the standards, um, most of like the founding era stuff. So um, kind of like where did the founding principles like come from? Um, so like things like natural rights theory, things like social contract, um, all that stuff. Um, and they basically had to create a podcast and I gave them, you know, um, I, hold on, no, I'm getting ahead of myself. So they had to create a podcast, um, using, uh, one of those concepts. Um, and like the challenge initially was to try and connect it to modern day somehow. Um, just because, you know, you, like we talked a lot about like engaging listeners and also how I engage them in class and we're always connecting stuff, especially in a government class to um, the modern day. So um, ultimately what I was envisioning were like maybe like 20 to 30 minute episodes um, with, you know, just kind of breaking down what you know, what their concept meant, right? So like really looking at social contract theory, finding, you know, sources that explain it, primary sources, secondary sources, um, and kind of looking at that and then doing something fun to kind of try and connect it to um, modern times. And I gave them a lot of flexibility in terms of, you know, you can have it be more informative, you can have it be question and answer, you can have it be interview based, you know, you can do like a game show, you can do a lot of different, you know, styles. Um, and uh, what I ended up getting was a lot of the time, honestly, just kind of like these really long, like rambling, incoherent, like, um, like, you know, they were long enough. And that was part of the problem was I think that they were like freaked out by this idea of like 30 minutes of them talking. Um, and so a lot of it was just like, babbling um and trying to fill up space um and a lot of like the, a lot of the challenges they had too were um editing software so like a lot like some of the pro the projects that they had been doing before i arrived weren't necessarily as like it was more like let's edit a google slides together um and it's more challenging when you know you've got them on audible or you've got them on anchor or you know some kind of editing platform where only really one person can get in there um and so of course you've got like them kind of pointing fingers and being like so-and-so is doing all this and isn't letting me do that or and then you have uh, lots of absences um, in my in that school district. So there would be like major recording days and kids would just be freaking out because half of their group was gone. Um, and so we'd have to kind of figure out how to problem solve through that. Um, and yeah, I would say the end products overall, the first time around, um, I realized that I had been way too loosey goosey with like giving them I just too much freedom. Like they, they just needed more structure. They needed, um, 
more um, kind of organized benchmarks too, like the way that I approached the benchmarks the second time around, because all in all, because I had government for, I was there two years, so I taught it four times. Um, I did that project four times. And by the, by the end of it, like by the last like iteration of it, I was pretty happy with, you know, what I was getting, which was great. And, you know, ultimately I was able to learn from the past, you know, failures essentially um but like you know that that was what our pbl coach was saying to us was like you can't be afraid to fail and ultimately i did and it you know i was able to make it into a good project eventually but but yeah lots of very long very painful grading sessions occurred um because of the the podcast so <laughs> yeah and i think that's like you know like josh said we we talk about that on this podcast all the time is the the ability to fail and to grow from it but it is hard you know as teachers like we're perfectionists and it's hard for us to get to the fourth time around and say okay now i'm happy with this um, so talk about like some of the strategies that you use to reflect and make the changes. You know, I think it can be easy to say like, oh, this hasn't gone the way I wanted to even twice. Like I failed once and made some changes and it's still not where I want it. Um, so some of the strategies from one to two to three to four yeah. to get yourself and your kids to the point where you felt like it was a successful project. Yeah. So I would say like a lot of what, um, and what I especially loved about the way, um, CSA handled stuff was like the, um, deltas and like the circles that we would do, um, doing feedback and stuff. And so I, even though like that, like really makes me anxious, like asking the kids like, okay, what did you like? What didn't you like? Um, I knew that that was something that was really important because, while sometimes it's, you know, they can be overtly negative and, you know, like give you feedback that isn't maybe the most helpful. A lot of the times it really is. Um, and so that was the first step was gathering student feedback and figuring out what was working for them versus what wasn't. Um, and then another thing that I personally um, had to do was just figuring out, okay, um, how to meet the students where they're at um, and basically, you know, f figure out ways to push them effectively, but not make it so that it feels like this giant, like, you know, un undoable task. Um, so basically kind of trying to figure out, okay, I thought we could do this, but, and here's this benchmark <laughs> that I was, you know, where this task is supposed to kind of come into fruition. Um, and they clearly were a little bit overwhelmed with the way this was presented. So how can I break this down into smaller pieces or how can I, um, you know, make this a little bit clearer, um, in, in the way that like the benchmark asked, asked them to approach, you know, the task. Cause I think the first, the first benchmark I had them do was, you know, breaking down the standards, um, and then trying to figure out, um, you know, what are some historical perspectives you could dig into for this? What are some, um, you know, pieces of evidence you could use, uh, like, could you talk about historical agency and like power, like in this, you know, in this concept or in this podcast. Um, and so like just kind of figuring out how to structure that a little bit more in, in a more student friendly way um, and breaking it down more um, because I'm pretty sure what I just described, like in terms of like evidence and perspective, like that was like probably like the th second or third benchmark, like by the time, that, like, like the second or third like version of, of that benchmark, um, you know, because it took me a while to kind of figure out how to give it to them in a way that was most useful. Um, and then I would also say, you know, listening and grading the podcast and kind of figuring out, okay, like, 
I feel like they maybe got lost at this part or like I wasn't clear about this or that. And like just trying to figure out where are those parts on the project where it's going haywire or where they're, you know, feeling like they might have a little bit too much freedom or not enough freedom or maybe there's just something about the benchmark that is like throwing them off, right? Um, basically just trying to figure out, okay, what are those steps and how can I make it more accessible to them? Um, and then I, again, like I just can't emphasize enough, like really meeting the students where they're at, right? Because like at a place like where y'all teach, like you have that really awesome, like K through 12, like PBL pathway, like the kids are really used to, to thinking creatively and to, um, and, and, you know, thinking in that PBL way, right? Um, and that's not something, unfortunately, that you can just learn overnight, right? Um, and so kind of thinking through, okay, how can I get them to start thinking in this way, right? Like, how can I have them breaking down ideas um, and, and kind of thinking in the way that uh, is going to help them the most? So, yeah, that's what I would say. I think I covered everything you asked me to. Yeah, I think so. Um, and it, it sounds a lot like my first year, um, you know, as I, I reflect on my first year in PBL, like there are so many times where it's like, you know, you hear things like, okay, you got to give the students voice and choice and you need to have benchmarks and you need to do all these things and you, you just don't know exactly how much um, and how far you can go. So you, you know, you start with like, hey, here's all this, op here are all these options, like take off, you give them a lot of freedom and then you find out like, some kids like completely freeze and shut down if you give them all that freedom. So what, what pieces of scaffolding can I use to help give them freedom? Or you find out that if you give them all this freedom, they can go in a completely different direction than what you had originally planned. Exactly. And it might not cover the standards the way that you needed it to. So like that was my first year. Like I realized like, oh man, super cool idea, but they're completely taking all of the math out of this project. And I can't have that because I'm supposed to teach them math. So I learned a lot of those lessons kind of in my first couple of years as well. And I think it's important. Um, you mentioned a couple of things that I think are really important. One, getting student feedback um, and, and using that, um, whether it's on that same project a year later or a semester later, or using it on your next project um, to refine things. And then the second part is like reflecting on how the final products like turned out um, because I think when you think about that end product, like you get a lot of information from that. Um, you know, if, if they're missing some standards or they're missing certain elements, then you know, like, okay, I didn't emphasize this content enough. Next time I do this, I've got to retool it. So you're, you're in a different school setting now. Um, you've had, you had a chance to do that, that project. Um, what, what things did you take with you from those first couple of years that have helped you um, in a setting that isn't necessarily PBL, designed to be PBL wall to wall? Um, and I, I would say, again, the idea of um, meeting the students where they're at. So really trying to figure out, okay, what are they comfortable with? What can they do? Um, what have they been asked to do in the past? And how can I maybe push that just a little bit so that they're out of their comfort zone, but not like drowning? Um, I would say, um, you know, kind of trying to think about the product that they're making as well. Um, because I know, especially at CSA, it's all, it's all about authenticity and it's all about, you know, um, wanting, wanting your, your projects to be really, um, you know, real world and, and applicable, um, which that's awesome and a really great goal. But I think sometimes like you need to just 
again, and I feel like I'm a broken record here, like meet the students where they're at, right? Like if they're not going to be able to quite get there, then what's the next best option for them? Or what, what's the way that you could maybe um, try, like to reach for that goal, but then like still be okay if you, you know, don't quite get there. Um, I would say, um, you know, getting feedback and then using, using the end product especially to guide how you approach the next project. Um, that's something that I always do. And also I think it's good to, to like verbalize that and say that out loud because I think you kind of get into these, you know, routines and like going through the motions, like with PBL, you're like, okay, I'm just going to do this automatically. But like, that's a really valuable thing. Right. So like I had my U S history kids at ICS do a, like a faces of war type project where they had to dig into, um, you know, one particular conflict, a particular perspective within that conflict. Um, and you know, it was really frustrating because after, um, we struggle with motivation at our school and after about like an eight week project, I still had some kids that only had like maybe like three slides or like, you know, like hadn't really, you know, gotten anything, um, done. And, so I was like, okay, I could attribute this to them being lazy or I could attribute this to them being, um, you know, just not into the project. Like, what is it? And, and some of it is maybe, you know, motivation. But another part of it, I think, is just not being given enough structure, right? Because I really gave them, um, like, about as much freedom as I would have given my kids down in Clarksville, which was a mistake um, from the get-go, right? So um, basically looking at, at the end products and seeing what, what they could do. And I was like, okay, I could shape this. I can, I can work with this. Um, and then giving them just a little bit more structure for the next project, you know, like, um, guiding their thinking at, at certain points a little bit more, or, you know, giving them, um, a little more, um, you know, like guidance when it comes to, how to organize or how to, you know, put something together. Um, like, and in, in some cases for me, it felt weird because that meant being more hands-on. Um, and like, I feel like sometimes you can be more hands-off when it comes to PBL because you're facilitating, right? You're not lecturing, you're not, you know, pouring a bucket of content into their heads. Um, but it was ultimately what they needed, so. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Like you, like we've said, have had kind of a unique journey where you, you know, your student teaching was in a building that was wall to wall PBL. And that's where you had a lot of your first real like teaching experience as far as like taking over the classroom for, for a big chunk of time. You went to a PBL school that, like you said, was maybe not quite as like rigorously PBL as, as what we have here. And now you're in a more traditional setting. And I think, um, you know, we have listeners that are all over the place in their PBL journey, whether they are kind of the lone wolf in a traditional school that's trying to incorporate PBL, maybe they're in a school that's moving toward PBL, but I think all of that is such good advice um, into, like, you know, you've said a couple of times, like meeting the students where they're at and figuring out student needs and creating um, the scaffolding pieces that are going to get the students to where you want them to be, or at least to make steps in, in that PBL journey. So yeah. I think that's some awesome advice. And um, thank you for sharing your experience with us today. Thank you guys for having me. I hope that it's helpful to some people out there. Awesome. Ready, break. Thanks again for joining Josh and Andrea for the PBL Playbook 
where we give you the playbook of real PBL facilitators in the classroom just like you and help bring you strategies and tools for your PBL game. If you want to reach the pod, you can tweet at AskGIEBS, at MissB103, and at MagnifyLearning. Or you can email the PBL playbook at magnifylearning.org with any questions, thoughts, or ideas you have. Also be sure to show Josh and Andrea some PBL love by rating, reviewing, and sharing the PBL playbook with other educators.